Hello one and all, welcome back to the AirPod, a show packed with royal news this week and we have a baby to discuss Maggie so I think I feel like we should waste absolutely no time (laughs) and get straight into it. When there is baby news involved, you know it's going to be a good show. (laughs) And we started the week with exactly that. Princes Eugenie and Jack Brooksbank welcomed their first child, a baby boy, born in the early hours of February 9th uh, at the Portland Hospital in London. And I'm going to stop all the info there because we're going to have a special royal baby deep dive later in the show with all... I feel like we need an alert. We need like a... <laughs> All the must know details about the new arrival, including uh, whether he will have a title or not. Uh, there's a lot of things that still haven't quite been announced or confirmed by the palace yet, so we're going to uh, go through the list one by one. Uh, but before we get to that, how are you doing, Maggie? I am good. You know, kind of like, um, uh, wait, what's the phrase? Same Friday, different week, or same lockdown, different week. But <laughs> <laughs> things are good, all, th- you know, all, all things considered. Uh, still in the UK, still locked down, but spring is here. Today was sunny. It was freezing, but uh, it was sunny. So, you know, we're, 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 things are looking up, Omid. <laughs> yeah, we're doing, we're doing all right. It's, it's absolutely freezing cold. Uh, you tell me, what is it in Fahrenheit right now? It's okay, like minus it, three, four degrees yeah. Celsius. So it's like literally freezing. So 32 Fahrenheit today was what it was. It was. But I, I kind of like it, Oma, because um, so last winter was my first winter in London and it never snowed. So I never had snow in London. So this winter, at least, we've had a couple of flurries and I still get so excited. I'm like a little kid. I like run to my window and I'm like, it's snowing. <laughs> but do you love the drama of British people when we get about two millimeters of snow on the ground? And the entire say, country so I, <laughs> grinds to a halt. I heard something today. That there's no snow plows in like the city of London. Like they don't keep any on hold. And for me, I'm, I grew up in Boston. So like I'm a New England girl, and we would get you know two feet. That's like two thirds a meter of snow, uh, and we'd still have school. Like they're like, oh, it's just two feet. Go to school. Here, it's like you get yeah, like two millimeters, and it's so cute. All the kids are outside um, making snowmen and having snowball fights, and I, I, I kind of love it. There's like that energy that comes with it. And then by about two o'clock, it's all disappeared. <laughs> yeah, it's all melted. <laughs> but it's exciting. I wonder if the, the royal kids go and play in the snow. We didn't see any photos, did we? That'd be cute. Yeah, we didn't see any pictures of the royal kids in snow, but I would imagine there'll be a few more opportunities given a look at the weather forecast for the next That's couple true. of weeks <laughs> ahead. I know, I love that I was like, spring's around the corner. I think I'm being overly optimistic. We're like in the heart of winter right now. <laughs> but we did get some Whatever, good news Roman. from the palace this week uh, in regards to Charles and Camilla, both Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall announced that they've received their first doses of the COVID-19 vaccine. It was announced by Clarence House. He said that they had uh, both had their first vaccinations. They wouldn't go into details about which ones. Um, we can speculate, speculate and guess that they were seen by a royal doctor at their home. Both of them are obviously staying um, at their home together. As we've seen, we'll be going into one of Camilla's engagements later <laughs> in the show. But um, yeah, I think this is must be a huge relief for... Harry and William, who of course went through, I guess, a very difficult time with Charles's mm. coronavirus battle last year. Yeah, you know, they've got to be worried about him. He's definitely in that age range where, uh, you know, he's of high concern and a vulnerable population. And 
And what's interesting, Omid, you know, we've talked about this for quite a bit on this podcast, but speculating, you know, how vocal will the royals be about getting their vaccinations? Because obviously there's this huge push, not only in the UK, but worldwide, and, you know, raising a lot of awareness, making sure people feel comfortable taking the vaccine. And, you know, we did discuss how the, the Queen announced that she, you know, eventually announced that she had the vaccine. And now we see, you know, both Charles and Camilla being very vocal, announcing they have the vaccine. So it seems like that's sort of the trend. And, you know, I guess the next ones we would have to look forward to are... Um, well, I guess William and Kate, right? Or Harry and Meghan stateside. Uh, so that'll be interesting. They probably won't be for a while, but they'll kind of be the next generational push, right? Trying to get young people out there, make sure that everyone is vaccinated. So it, it seems like that they could continue to sort of be the face of this. Mm, I, can't, I can't imagine a world a, a scenario in which we don't hear about the Cambridges getting their vaccinations, mm. given how um, prominently they've uh, championed the work being done on the front lines here in the UK. I mean, we can, not yeah. a week goes by without the, the pair of them, or, or at least one of them, on a Zoom call with, uh, this week it was uh, National Health Service students mm. that they caught with up with over Zoom. And so I think that they'll be very keen to share that with the country. Um, yeah, but but it is, point. it's really encouraging to see how quickly we're getting through vaccinations. So, you know, Charles, and Camilla are 72 and 73 respectively and so they are considered to be at high risk for the virus but you know my mum's in her 60s I took her for her first vaccination today wow. so we're we're slowly working well, through the age tiers. That's amazing oh how fantastic yeah that is it is incredible you know I think obviously there are frustrations to um, you know around the world just everyone wants it to be happening right now right and so uh, there are frustrations maybe with how the world is going in certain countries but you, know, you also have to remember it, it's, it's such a feat of science to even be where we are right now you know I remember um, a year ago this week Omid was when I was in Japan covering that Diamond Princess cruise ship if you remember that that oh, was wow. such a yeah, huge story like a long where there were ago. cases on a cruise ship and we made such a big deal out of it because it was a big deal it feels like a lifetime to go I mean it was that was another world right but to think that that was just a year ago and now within a year discovering a brand new virus the virus rips around the world and now we have a vaccine and we're talking about rolling out the vaccine and protecting people I mean that speed is incredible so uh yeah of course people are frustrated and want the vaccinations to be going faster just because you know we want everyone to be vaccinated but it is quite unbelievable the the, the, the science and the progress that we're seeing absolutely I mean we've I think now officially vaccinated or given a first vaccination to over 25% of the adults mm. in the UK, which is not bad going. And dare I say it, the weeks, despite not much happening, the weeks do go by quite quickly. So I don't think it will be <laughs> do long. Do you find before. that too? Yeah, it's amazing. It's like a lockdown time warp, isn't it? It scares me because I always used to think that that was something that people of a certain, only people of a certain age would, would say, would be constantly talking Don't about how, say it, how fast time goes by because <laughs> it never felt like that. <laughs> and lockdown has really made me realise how fast the days go by, despite me doing very little other than sitting at my desk. Are we of a certain age now? Shush, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> move on, move on, next topic. Well, one of the unfortunate byproducts of the amount of time we have spent uh, as families, as couples, as, as individuals um, in lockdown has been an increase in the numbers of domestic violence crimes that have been reported in the UK over the past year. Um, I think forces in England or authorities in England recorded more than 250,000 domestic mm -hmm. violence cases between March and June last year. That was at the very start 
the pandemic, but of course uh, around the time that we were all first socially distancing and going into our first lockdown. And those numbers have continued to rise since then. And Camilla, uh, almost straight after her vaccination, went straight into work uh, with a video call with a fantastic organisation called Safe Life. She's a patron of, and we know that uh, Camilla has been uh, really championing so many different causes that tackle with this issue. Um, but this was a chance for her to praise the brilliance of a brand new scheme that we operate here in the UK to help victims of domestic abuse called Ask for Annie. Annie standing for action needed immediately. I don't know if you've heard of this, mm. uh, Maggie. There are, I think, similar schemes in of operation in the US, but this is relatively new here. It's such a great idea, and I think, you know, in general, uh, the fact that Camilla's raising awareness for this, the fact that we're talking about it more because of lockdown, it's, it's, I mean, at first it's obviously so sad that we even have to talk about this, but unfortunately we do, and so it's great that people are raising awareness, making sure it's an issue people are not ashamed of, an issue people are, are talking about, and, uh, you know, the more people that know about this, the better, because uh, this could save lives, you know, and it will save lives, and so the fact that Camilla's trying to get the word out, I mean, what an important cause, what an important time to be doing. It. Mm, Ask for Annie first launched just last month, um, but it already operates in more than 2,000 pharmacies in the UK. And it basically offers a private space for individuals when they mention the code word Annie. So if you go up to a pharmacy counter in the UK and literally ask for Annie, you'll be led immediately into a private consulting room where you'll be put in touch with the police or relevant support services or even helplines. And this is actually a government-backed scheme. Um, I think we already had something uh, launched last year called Ask for Angela that was for bars, pubs and restaurants to prevent sexual violence. And uh, this is something that Camilla really wanted to get involved in and, and sort of amplify um, the message behind it and the work that they're doing. Um, in fact, on the call, she said that this is really her year to want to do even more mm. than she's already done for victims of uh, domestic abuse. You know, Omid, I'm curious, listening to Camilla there, I, I feel like we're seeing and hearing more from her recently, um, really in the past year than perhaps we had before. Is that is that happening or is that just me? Am I just noticing it more? No, I think, you know, lockdown has really presented an opportunity for royals to almost share the spotlight. Uh, we're so mm. used to these big flashy royal engagements that perhaps um, unfortunately put, sometimes put the focus on what a member of the royal family is wearing and that member is usually the Duchess of Cambridge or in the past it, that was also Meghan as well and so those stories would often overshadow the work being done by uh, Charles and Camilla and I think that we've really seen that everyone is sort of with them being stuck at home uh, the royals are almost sharing the stage at the moment. So we are hearing a lot more of the work that Camilla's doing, even if she's technically not doing more than before. But I think she's also really We're getting used it, to, yeah. to digital platforms. You know, we saw her launch the book club on Instagram. And I think that she's really mm. finding her space online, which is really interesting given that she's probably been quite um, tech phobic in the past. <laughs> I love it. I think it's been kind of a fun surprise of lockdown to see more of her. Yeah, I think we'll see a lot more of her. And you know what I'm really waiting for? I'm waiting for members of the royal family to get together on Zoom. We saw the Queen and Princess oh, Anne last right. year. But I'd quite like to see them all on a Zoom call, perhaps talking about some of their like... own lockdown experiences or just some of the lessons learned from the last year. I think this is a really great opportunity for us to, to hear more from members of the royal family. Oh my gosh. But 
You but know I don't see why it can't be I together. Um, what I would just scream over, do you ever play Jackbox TV games? Do you know what those are? No. Oh my gosh, first off, this is like if anyone's like at the point of lockdown where they've like tried everything. Um, Jackbox TV games, you can go and they like you all play together and you're sitting in different areas, but you like play on your phones and it pops up on screen and they're all like trivia or you draw things on your phone. Anyway, they get loose real fast. I play them with my family and friends um, <laughs> all over the world. And I would just, I had this image of like, because the, the queen's known for being kind of like, silly and inappropriate sometimes. Like her, her holiday gifts are always so funny. So I'm just imagining her like really getting into the doodle game and, and just the hilarity that would, would ensue if they ever let the real world watch what goes on. <laughs> that was like my own little private side. So let's get back to the podcast. Sorry, this is just a dream. If anyone's listening, let's make this happen. <laughs> I'm going to have to look into this. <laughs> You'd love it. Well, we had big news for the Duchess of Sussex this week who won her privacy and copyright case against the mail on Sunday. A summary judgment at the High Court in London this week uh, ruled in favour of Meghan over extracts of the letter that she had written to her estranged father, Thomas Markle. Um, This was a much anticipated win for Meghan. Um, This has been going on almost for two years now. In fact, it was two years ago that the Mail on Sunday uh, first ran, uh, and Mail on Sunday and the Mail Online ran five stories online and in their paper featuring extensive extracts from this very private letter that Meghan had written to her father. Um, The Duchess of Sussex uh, uh, hailed her victory as a comprehensive win uh, and went on to call out the newspaper's illegal and dehumanising practices. Um, as I said, it's been a two-year battle, but this saw the judge grant summary judgment in her favour over those extracts being published. He called them personal and private, despite the arguments put forward by the defendant. In fact, Lord, Lord Justice Warby um, found for Meghan in her claim for misuse of private information against associated mm. newspapers. And uh, he said it was, in short, a personal and private letter. The majority of what was published was about the claimant's own behaviour, her feelings of anguish about her father's behaviour as she saw it, and the resulting rift between them. These are inherently private and personal matters. It's a huge win for Meghan. And I would also say for the royal family, because I think that had the male have won this case it would have set a dangerous new precedent over Mm. uh, what could be sort of argued to be within the public's interest and acceptable for publication. But this does put the power back into the copyright holder's hands. And I think as we saw from that statement put out by the Duchess of Sussex, uh, clearly she was very happy with the win. Yeah, but I want to read a part of the statement because it, it, she, you know, she gets personal. I think you can tell how emotional this court case has been. Obviously, like you say, it's been, you know, kind of drawn out over years. And so to live with that in the in the headlines, dealing with something as emotional as this is, you, you can hear it in her statement. Um, part of it, she wrote. Uh, for these outlets, it's a game. For me and so many others, it's real life, real relationships, and very real sadness. The damage they have done and continue to do runs deep. And. You know, Omid, I'm, I'm curious, uh, clearly this has impacted Megan as well as many other royals and so many other people that, 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 that deal with this. Um, do you think, you know, I know you mentioned this sort of set a precedent for the royal family, but do you think this set a precedent even beyond the royal family? I mean, is this something that 
the Daily Mail, and then also other tabloids and newspapers are going to have to sort of deal with as well. Is this sort of the new standard? Yeah, I think we've seen over the years a number of high-profile individuals take on British media organisations for printing private information, whether that's letters, text messages, uh, the transcripts of personal phone calls or even medical records mm -hmm. in some cases. And often the argument from the media is that it is within the public's interest. And that's a, then a very difficult argument to get into because, of course, uh, with a lot of these high profile individuals, they are sharing so many aspects of their lives almost as part of the work that they do, some for commercial gain, uh, some simply because of their profile as a politician or a member of the royal family in this case. And that was really one of the things that we saw the male heavily lean on was that if Meghan had been sharing certain information with certain friends or allowed uh, certain individuals to, to, to know about the existence of the letter, then this immediately took away her right for privacy. And it was very interesting to hear arguments from both sides throughout the multitude of hearings for this case. Um, but this is, of course, the first time that we've heard the judges' thoughts on it. And I think that after what has been months of, I would call, distractions in a lot of the arguments that the male have put forward, uh, the judge has really drawn a line and put the focus very much back on the law which he has ruled very much in the favour of the claimant, Megan, in this case. And I think for, you know, we've seen this in the past when with exa the exact same newspaper, Prince Charles also sued, sued over extracts that are printed from a personal diary he had written. And of course, the argument from uh, the, the, the newspaper in question goes on to claim that it is, of course, within the public's interest. This is the future king. That we're talking about and I think one of their arguments was that he had even shared uh, extracts of his diary with friends so if he's willing to share it with friends then certainly it's also acceptable for us to do the same thing but this is really about uh, permission you know we may give someone permission to uh, enter our home if we're a celebrity family and take pictures of us or film us for a reality show but that doesn't mean we give permission to then everyone to break into that house and take pictures of you perhaps sleeping at night so it's and I, I think that this has really kind of pointed out what those boundaries are and I think what's great for Harry and Meghan is that this is now I think their fifth court win in the last year you know we've seen them so well, Harry I was going to say the, we just had Harry win a big court case as well. This is sort of, um, they've got to have a good big boost right now. Exactly. I think for them, you know, as Megan points out in her statement that she, she says, we all lose when misinformation sells more than truth, when moral exploitation sells more than decency, and when companies create their business model to profit from people's pain. And I think that this uh, sort of fight for justice that they're all, that they're sort of on it's a long journey of course and you know we've seen them really take on social media uh, companies and, and speaking with people in the right places to usher in change in those areas too i think this is really part of a clean sweep for them 
in a way to um, to, to, to really bring in much needed change. And, and I, I'm all for it. You know, I, I you know, I, as many of you listening to the show will know, I was unfortunately dragged into this case. Uh, my book was Finding Freedom, which was an unofficial biography written on Harry and Meghan, uh, was used as examples of a couple supposedly, or of, of, of Meghan supposedly invading her own privacy because friends of hers had spoken. And it's of course impossible in the eyes of some that uh, friends can't speak on their own will. They must have been asked by Meghan to do so. But, you know, I was very clear in the, in the number of statements that I gave to the court throughout the process of what the truth was and what wasn't. And I found it very frustrating to then often hear uh, false information or even lies coming through in statements or uh, hearsay evidence or hearsay statements coming across from the defendant's side um, and, and it's at times like this you almost feel that it's you can't win. There's a no-win situation. You're speaking the truth, but it's not doing anything because, of course, this has dragged on for a really long time. So personally, I'm also very happy with the result of this, and I'm glad that we can move on from it. And I'm sure it's the same for the Sussexes. You know, we're approaching that one-year point for them stepping away from the firm and these are sort of the unresolved issues that I'm sure no doubt they'll want to leave in the past and are finally getting to do so. Um, so can we can we say we've moved on from it now? Is this like us moving on? Yes, we of course still have yeah. the the issues of uh, how, mu- how much damages will be paid mm-hmm. out. I saw mm-hmm. one newspaper speculate that it could be in the millions because of course when oh, copyright wow. comes into play, uh, technically, the uh, the claimant uh, uh, has a very valid argument there to to discuss the earnings or the profits made off the um, copyrighted item that was used for commercial gain, and so that will be very interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I think the only other issue that there is to to deal with is, of course, uh, is Megan the sole copyright owner? of this letter because of course it has been alleged Mm. by uh, the defendant side from Associated Newspapers which is the publisher of the mail that uh, because uh, a member of staff might have read the letter at some one point that they technically might hold some kind of co-authorship on it and so that will need to be discussed but only if that individual actually says that as as a co-author they are entitled to some of those damages. So there's a lot of ifs and buts, but I think the important thing to note here that this was a comprehensive win on the two claims, the two important claims that were made for privacy and copyrights infringement. And like you said, I'm sure, well, yourself and also definitely the couple is ready to move forward. Yes, absolutely. And I would imagine everyone that has been dragged into this case, you know, we can't forget the fact that uh, her father has been placed at the centre of it and, and almost used as a, a pawn in some ways. And, and of course, the five friends that were at the centre of a number of uh, sort of tabloid stories for quite some time in the middle of many of these hearings that we've had for the case. Um, I think for everyone, it, it's a relief to, to have, have this come to an end. Well, on that note, I feel like we should also move on and uh, let's go to a break. Welcome back, everyone. Well, as we started the show, this was the week that we celebrated the arrival of another royal baby. And I don't know about you, Maggie, but 
Good positive royal news certainly lifts my spirits. If it's a baby, an engagement, or a wedding, that's kind of when I'm in my element as a royal correspondent. <laughs> that's when you're really grooving. This is always time to shine. It, there is something about a royal baby announcement. I mean, you know, this one obviously people weren't waiting outside. Um, we are still in a pandemic, so you know the, th the things were different. But I think there was still that that energy. I mean, the couple's so happy. It's nice to see people smiling and excited, and such a future little you know bundle of joy well yeah exactly and and jack brooksbank and princess eugenie were quick to share their news on instagram posting a, a photo of their hands alongside their baby boys alongside three heart emojis and they were one of many excited family members to share uh, their their joy at the news. A press release by Buckingham Palace said that the Queen, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh, the Duke of York, that's Prince Andrew, uh, Sarah, the Duchess of York, and the parents of Jack's Brooksbank have all been in, were all informed immediately after the baby's February 9th arrival and were delighted with the news. So this is a reason to celebrate for everyone. We have also seen, I think, a number of friends. We saw James Middleton commenting under Princess Eugenie's post. So I think everyone's very excited for this. It's come at a great time, but there's still so many details that we don't know. We still don't have the official name of this yeah, baby Yeah, that's a boy. big detail of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's not unusual for us to have to wait for a while. I think we've seen in the past, uh, I will never forget the day that we had to wait days for Prince George's name to be announced. And of course, in that case, he was the future king and, and the queen had to know the name first. But in this, it's, uh, it's kind of unclear whether the name will, will be shared publicly anytime soon. But, you know, it is a royal tradition. Um, on one hand, I guess for them, there's a desire to inform all the families and friends before a public declaration is made. Um, but also, I think it's about the couple perhaps just wanting a little bit of private time to get to know their, their baby before what will be an onslaught of traditional announcements in, yeah. in a way that royals do best. I have to say, I do kind of like that it's, um, you know, I think because of the pandemic, things changed a bit, and I like that they're given time to kind of figure it out just themselves first. It always seems, uh, I always felt sometimes for the mother to have to put on a show right after birth. I'm like, God, you must be exhausted. <laughs> and so, you know, hopefully maybe this is an example for the future or maybe just for them, but the fact that, you know, they're able to take some time for themselves right now and, you know, be a little family of three, um, it's kind of nice. It is. You know, we saw we saw them have a few days at the hospital together as a family before heading home. We, as we record this, we're three days uh, post the baby announcement yeah. and Jack and Eugenie were seen leaving the hospital today. Uh, that hospital being the Portland Hospital in London, which is kind of, I would say it's the go-to. It's the end spot when it comes to, to, to giving birth. Um, it's been around for a long time, but it's very popular with expats, celebrities, and it's also the place that Princess Eugenie and Princess Beatrice uh, were welcomed to the world by their mum, Sarah Ferguson. Uh, she, I guess, almost was a trailblazer with picking the Portland because before <laughs> that we had always seen uh, other, other members of the royal family pick St Mary's Hospital, which is actually round the corner. It's an NHS hospital. Mm. That means it's run by the National Health Service here in the UK. It is, of course, where we've, where we've seen the Duchess of Cambridge give birth to... Prince George, Princess Charlotte and Prince Louis 
Um, but the Portland does offer a level of privacy that you can't find elsewhere. And that'll, that'll be exactly why the Duke and Duchess of Sussex picked the Portland uh, for Archie's birth a couple of years ago. It feels like a, a lifetime ago now, but it wasn't only it back does, in doesn't it? 2019. <laughs> Oh, it's fun to have a, another baby to celebrate. So, we know, Oma, not only do we not have a name, but we don't have really a title either. But I, I understand, like, they might not have a title. Is that right? Or is there controversy around this? Or is it just, how does this normally play out in the royal family? Yeah, unlike the name, which I imagine will drop at some point over the next few days, <laughs> uh, a title may never come for this royal baby. Mm. Um, in fact, I guess that the main reason is due to age old tradition here in the UK titles are actually passed down from the father's side of the family. And of course, with Jack Brooksbank being, and I mean, no shade by this, but being a commoner, uh, <laughs> that makes his it and Eugenie's children feel also like common. <laughs> Um, we're commoners too don't worry Jack we're all commoners it's fine Um, but I think what's interesting here is of course we have seen in the past the Queen uh, can have she does have the ability to offer um, in in Jack's case what would be an earldom and that would make him an earl and so in that case they could then call their children uh, or give their children titles but I think what we have seen over the years and Princess Anne was very much the trailblazer on this as the Queen's only daughter uh, she of course married a man that didn't have a title when she married her first husband captain mark phillips and uh, she was offered uh, or they were offered a peerage by the queen and they declined it because they wanted to raise their children without titles and of course only a couple of years ago we saw the sussexes also choose not to give titles uh, to their children or at least with archie Mm. And so this is kind of starting or a continuing a bit of a trend here. I think as a royal family really focus on a much more streamlined model, uh, it leaves the likes of uh, Princess Eugenie and Princess Beatrice, who I'd imagine at some point will be sharing baby news with us all. Um, They're not working royals. And so that need for a title is almost a bit unnecessary. And in fact, we've even seen some pushback from the Wessexes recently. Uh, Sophie, the Countess of Wessex, said in a, a Times interview recently that hmm. they're raising their children to, to, from a very young age to know that they're going to have to go out in the real world hmm. and get jobs. And I think that that's a really healthy approach to parenting uh, as a royal, because of course we don't know how long the royal family will be around for. We're sort of very much in our sort of peak of the Windsor era at the moment with the Queen uh, at the head of the firm. But as that changes, that may also change uh, how the country feels about the royal family and it could change things for everyone. So I would say, yeah, not having a title and actually going out in the world and getting real jobs is probably a smart step and a smart approach. And, and even if the royal family lasts forever, I mean, it also just, I think probably makes people more well-rounded, which can never be a bad thing. You know, they have to know what the world is like uh, if they actually want to be a part of it and help contribute to it. And so, you know, I think it's good that there's a mix of people that have titles and don't have Mm. titles and have different roles. There's a lot of ways to be successful and make an impact. Uh, That said, if anyone out there wants to give me a lordship... Yeah, (laughs) we're available. I I promise I will stay grounded and I will be the same man. (laughs) Lord Omid, nice ring to it. (laughs) 
Well, before we close out the show, there's one important piece of news that maybe needs the to most be important analyzed. Comment. Maybe the most important. <laughs> In fact, maybe this should have been the episode we have the deep dive, Maggie. <laughs> I don't know about you, but before I have to zoom from home or even do live TV, I have this kind of moment of panic of like, what what state is the place <laughs> in? How tidy me? is it? Like, can you see those fingerprints on the table in the background? Like, I'm <laughs> oh, very, get into it. I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it. <laughs> but people online were pleasantly surprised when they got a peek inside Princess Anne's living room this week when she shared a tweet on the Royal Family Twitter account to celebrate Scotland's historic Six Nations rugby victory over England last weekend uh, with a full wide angle view of her (laughs) living room as she and her husband uh, watched the match on the big screen. I think the last thing anyone even paid attention to was the caption and everyone was straight into the Zoom function on their phone to see what was going on. There was just so much in that photo. Did it not look like, it looked like every aunt in my family. It was just, I I kind of loved it, Omen, because it was just, it was so normal, wasn't it? Like you often think, especially as an American, I'm like, well, all the royals must dress in gold and live in castles and uh, it's a very royal catered to life. But then I saw this photo and I was like, no, sh- this is just like a regular aunt watching her favorite sporting event. Uh, like it, it, it looked just so regular and I loved it so much. <laughs> Yeah, well, what's interesting is that Princess Anne, she's known to live at Gatcombe Park. This is a country residence and it's in Gloucestershire. It's an 18th century huge estate, I would say, um, grade two listed. It is one of the fanciest homes for members of the royal family but we don't often get to see inside it in fact most of the zoom calls that Anne has done during lockdown has conveniently showed us just a little bit behind her but this full-on view of the room really gave us a a peek into a living room that was stocked full with books figurines photographs um, kind of various tchotchkes uh what I'm trying to think what was in there it was it was a lot and I think for me I'm, I'm very much a minimalist um, so you were so I, I can't, I can't handle you know a few pieces of paper being on the table. Like if I'm going to watch a movie, I need to like pack everything away. I can't even have a magazine inside. See, I'm the opposite. I don't, I don't mind. I like clutter that tells a story, right? And that's what I felt like Anne's house was. Like there was a lot of story in there. Well, there was. You know, we know she's a passionate at question. Well, there was. We know she's a passionate equestrian. She, of course, competed in the Olympics. And we saw lots of horse-themed trinkets around the room. We saw the dog bed. She, of course, has um, a number of dogs that she loves. I think there was even a coffee table book called The English Dog at Home. Um, But people really went to town. They zoomed in on every single thing that they could find. Oh, my God, that's amazing. I'll, I'll give you and everyone an Easter egg to look for. If I ever do a live shot from home, I have a stuffed animal cat that I like to hide in the background as my one piece of like background clutter. <laughs> and I move it around every live shot so that it has a new home. So you, I'm, I'm going to leave you with that piece of knowledge. You're all welcome. <laughs> and you can look for it next time. Immediately goes to Google. I know. Like Maggie Rooley, ABC News. <laughs> I think that just about wraps us up, Maggie. Uh, But thank you, everyone, 
for all of your tweets and messages. I think a lot of you are excited to hear about the Duchess of Sussex's win against the Mail on Sunday and the Mail Online this week. Of course, we know that that relationship between members of the royal family and the British media is always tough. Um, but I think that this really drew a line in the sand of what, what was acceptable. And if you want to hear more about that, we're happy to go into some of the details about um, the royals and their relationship with the media, because certainly we can't uh, get enough of that <laughs> week in, week out by the looks of it. Yeah, Omid, you're so right. We would love to hear what everyone else thinks. Definitely come check us out on Twitter. Um, I'm at Maggie Ruley, Omid. I'm at Scoby. Um, I'm going to take a couple of days off from Twitter. You know what? I think you deserve it. I think you need a little break. So you guys can chat with me for a few days and then you'll have Omid back very soon, I'm sure. <laughs> of course, big thank you goes to the guys at ABC Audio in New York, especially Anthony Alley, who helps put this show together. Um, stick with us until next Friday. We'll have a brand new episode, more royal news, um, a, a few embargoed press releases here from the palaces that oh. I wanted to get into today, but we don't That's quite a good tease. The Stay tuned. To, yes. um, so <laughs> we'll be unpacking all of the news as usual, uh, your favourite place for royal news. I think we are the most listened to royal podcast now, so thank wow. you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye.